Please listen carefully. And now, live from an airport commandeered by cosplayers, it's the Assuming Positions Podcast. Featuring two cartoon characters with overly animated mouths, Kevin and Mikey. Hey everybody, welcome to the Swimming Positions Podcast. Kevin over here. And Mikey over here. And today on the podcast, we are very glad to have a guest. Ooh, I love it when we have guests. Yes, it's the one. It's the only Jay Hickman. Jay, good to see you. It's good to see you both. Thank you so much for this. Oh, not a problem. For those listening, you may know Jay. He's been in over 200 roles with studios from ADV Films, Funimation, Sentai Filmworks, Switchblade Pictures, and Okratron 5000. He's played characters such as... Mekazawa in Cromarty High School, Spitfire in Air Gear, Shiozama in Aura Battler Dubine, Green Dragon Shiryu in Saint Saya, The Fisherman Chu in Hammond in One Piece, Kagatani Hiroku in Black Bullet, Chief Kurama in Elfin Lead, Arthur Lynch in The Legend of the Galactic Heroes, as well as voices in Excel Saga, Log Horizon, Tamako Market, No Game No Life, and Princess Tutu. He's also done work in video games and live action, and he's here to talk to us right now. I know. That's, well, that's a list as long as my arm. <laughs> Let's see that arm. It's a long arm. I'm six oh, feet you're tall. You're not kidding around. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's, a, that's, that's quite a list. So we met Jay at Anime Dallas, and this previous Anime Dallas was our third Anime Dallas that we've been to. That was the fifth one. This was the fifth anniversary. That's right, yeah. And... Jay is not only a voice actor who was there, but Jay is a board member for Anime Dallas and Anime Houston. Yes. Yes. For the Anime Texas organization that uh, oversees both of those conventions. Right off the bat, since we are a little bit past it, how was your experience this year at Anime Dallas? Uh, Superb. Really lovely. I I think this will come as no surprise to you and, and many of your listeners that conventions are you know, usually uh, glorious, a mile a minute, fun and excitement, and just absolutely draining. Like, you're, you're not aware of it in the moment. There, there's just so much going on, so much fun. And, you know, a day a day or two removed from it, you're like, oh, my gosh, what happened? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was great. I, it took me several days to kind of get back to baseline, but it was wonderful. And, you know, I can speak to it from, you know, two different um, perspectives uh, as having been a voice actor guest of it and also kind of having been on the organizational side of things and the, the feedback that we were getting from from guests, from uh, chaperones, from vendors, from attendees mm-hmm. was it was just so positive. It, it just made us feel so good that that it was kind of hitting on all the cylinders we had intended. Oh, and that's got to make it better when you like when you put so much work into something and you get that kind of feedback. I mean, that's got to feel good. Yeah, I mean, it's great. And I think, too, you know, from the get go, we felt this was going to be something different. And all of the commentary we've gotten has reflected that. I think it was John Swayze, who is the founder of Anime Texas and both of the conventions, Mm -hmm. you know, had you've probably spoken to him about this, but, you know, he had kind of a goal in mind to celebrate anime in Texas because Texas is a hub for English language anime and, and has been for close to 30 years now. But also he was interested as a, as an attendee of many, many, many conventions. 
he was interested in running one as a voice actor who had experience as a voice actor guest. Mm -hmm. And I was right on board with that. Like he, when he described kind of the way he wanted to do things slightly differently with, it's kind of like um, someone who, and and he's one of these two, he's an actor's director. Like if you have a movie director who has also been an actor for a while, all the actors on the cast are like, wow, that was, whoo, he really seemed to get us. And you're like, yes, (laughs) he, he, he does get you. And so we, we wanted to kind of create that experience for the guests that we were having as well as the attendees uh, and that seems to be going great. So it's it's super gratifying. Yeah, for our money, if I might inflate the balloon a little bit more. Absolutely. Um, we've been <laughs> oh, we've, we've been to quite a few conventions in various capacities. And Anime Dallas, we make a point of we have to get in there. We have to be there because it's just always ends up being the most fun for us as far as the cons we go to. And it's definitely the thing you're talking about, Jay, and that like you can tell that it's being put together and being run by somebody that knows it and gets it and loves it and has a passion for it rather than like, oh, we're just going to throw this thing together so we can make some money and get some people together and sell some tickets. It's way more than that. It is. Yeah, I mean, for, without a doubt, we're, we're learning something new every year in ways that we can improve. But from the start, I mean, John... I don't know if you got to meet John's wife, Dina. We did, actually. Good. Well, lucky you. Um, (laughs) She has a background as uh, also a background in theater, but as a stage manager. Mm. So when he brought her on in an official capacity to help kind of run the show, indeed, she knows how to run a show. And so we felt like that part was just sort of taken care of, like with Dina at the helm, we could focus on all of the the other stuff and the hospitality and what have you. So, you know, there's a sense that it's a, it's a tightly run ship and it's kind of like the love boat. And, you know, we're <laughs> Julie, the cruise director, while we know that Captain Stubing is, is safely steering us through the icebergs, like nothing to worry about. That's like Kevin. He's my Captain Stubing. So I, I totally get Am it. Am I? I'm your Captain Stubing? Yeah. Well, who are you? Uh, you know, Julie. Julie? Yeah. Oh, okay. Look at you two learning something about each other after all these years. <laughs> So for you, though, you did mention that you kind of wear two hats when you do Anime Dallas because you are there as a voice actor who has ran through the list. So, I mean, it seems like you could just be there to do that, but you're also behind the scenes. Is it more, is your role more like preparing for the con and helping set it up? Are you still doing both things at once? Are you multitasking while you were at the con? Yeah, there is. I I would say my duties are a little more front loaded uh, in terms of preparation, but for sure there's stuff to be done uh, throughout. I'm the, you know, in addition to the board member, I'm the director of communications for the convention. There you go. So I'm overseeing the social handles and, you know, we do our best to make sure those are active and firing all throughout the convention as a, as a source of communication and information for people as well as for fun stuff. Like, you know, we, we see amazing things out on the convention floor and on the panels and live entertainment. And we like to share those with folks while, while they're happening. So, yep. yeah, I'm, I'm kind of overseeing that in, in the moment and, you know, also serving kind of a, in a hospitality role as well. So, you know, for those, those guests that are new to the convention, I, you know, I join with John in you know, making sure they're, they're welcome and know their way around and, and what's coming next for them and whatever pointers I can provide. Yeah, because like for all the, the like we did see friends that we had made at the last years of conventions, but that's something that I've noticed about Anime Dallas is that it does seem to be like fresh new people or a different roster of guests for every year. Like you're still getting yeah, new people sure. in, so that's very cool. 
Yeah, that, that's certainly important to us. I mean, and and just like you said, I mean, I think there is a lot of comfort in having some familiarity from year to year and the, and the yeah. people that you'll see. But also, yeah, it's just the the universe is so wide uh, <laughs> with English language anime and, and the people that are associated with it and the creators, be they voice actors or directors that are actually, you know, kind of helping to create the anime that people are there to celebrate or the people that are creating new ways to celebrate it, like professional cosplayers or fanfic writers or that sort of thing. There are so many out there um, that we haven't been able to even meet yet. And we love to have the chance to meet them personally and to bring them in for for the fans that are attending. I know it's exciting for, for everyone to get to see yep. and experience new people. So. Now, maybe this is a little too inside baseball, but is it like, does somebody get a leg up if you've worked with them and you've hung out with them around doing voiceover work, like in a one-on-one capacity or in a working relationship? Uh, you know, yes and no. I mean, certainly we have, in, in terms of deciding who the guests are going to be, like we have a, a process in place and a committee and we're talking about that through the year. But certainly, you know, if there are people out there that we have worked with previously that has great value just because we know the quality of, of person they are. And we know their work ethic. And, you know, yeah. as much as it's important to have a fun personality and to, to know that this is a sort of uh, professional in the industry who is um, kind of warm and friendly to all around them, that's, mm-hmm. that's a hugely important element, but also, you know, just that we know, having worked with them in the studio, we have a sense of what it is they do and, and do well. So we'd be like, you know, I know you from working on this show. Mm-hmm. If I get four more cast members, we can have a panel. <laughs> and, you know, we we enjoy your rapport with us. So that would be fun on a panel. Oh, and you sing. Like, we can maybe do something with that. So there is there is some benefit to having some background information, but that all kind of goes into the hopper which is put before committee. And so, you know, we'll, we'll all kind of put some choices in the hat and discuss them and draw out the ultimate guests there. There you go. The ultimate guest. <laughs> <laughs> so every, we've talked to quite a few voice actors and we like to kind of focus on the back half of that name, the actor half, because a lot of people focus on the voice half of it. But to us, it's more important that there's the actor half. And where did this come from for you? Did Were you in theater? Were you in film, TV? Where did this come through for you? Yeah, so I, I think based on stories I've heard, I think I share this with a lot of my voice acting colleagues, that, that my my start was in theater. And, you know, going way back, and, and this is not a unique story, but I mean, in elementary school, I was forced to do Mrs. Johnson's third grade play, and I was the four seasons, and I was the wind, or whatever it was, uh, you know. And through those years, it was just something I was forced to do. But thankfully, and I mean, I think you know that's the case with with children. Uh, parents want to steer them to experience different things, so at least they can have had that experience and latch on to something and something takes, they take interest with something and we'll be like, okay, you've tried six different things over two years. Like, what did you enjoy the best? Yeah. Any, any one of them will look great on your college application. Which one <laughs> did you like? So um, I think as much as it was a, a chore to do plays in elementary school, I didn't do any more than anyone else, but I, I think I took to it. And in middle school, I was starting to get a sense that 
there was something special to this. And I think I was, you know, I was blessed to be surrounded by friends with amazing imaginations. And together we would just seek to entertain each other. Like, you know, we all had favorite cartoons and we would start to do impersonations of our favorite cartoon characters to amuse each other, like to, and see if we could one up each other. Like that was, again, this is not a rarity, Uh, you know, (laughs) on on a middle school playground that kids are uh, play acting cartoons or trying to do the voices and fine tuning them and seeing who can do the better one and the funniest one to get laughs. And so, you know, I did a couple theater things type things in middle school through the school. And um, yeah, it was starting to click for me. Like I was, I was starting to notice that doing this was fun and we were starting to get a sense of what the power of the theater family, if you've done, you know, shows or live theater, that there is something about that, the bond that you form with your cast, unlike most anything, it, it, it's, it's truly special. And so I was, I was getting to enjoy that. And I was also kind of understanding that people for the first time were noticing me that had never paid any attention to me. I was <laughs> like, aha, interesting. So obviously that was, I think that was an attractive thing. And so, yeah, that continued in high school. I did some high school plays at that point. It coincided well with, with my discovery of how interested I was in girls. <laughs> and uh, it seemed it, it, it proved itself to be a great way to meet them. Mm. I liked that a lot. And yeah, I did a few shows in in high school. And at the same time, I was like, I'd sort of I've been singing a little bit here and there. Neither of my parents sing, but I, I was taking to that. I was in, you know, choir at school and what have you. But in high school, the high school choir director seemed, felt like he really noticed something in me. And he kind of nudged me along and encouraged me to try out for all-state choir. This was in New Jersey, by the way. Okay. Um, where, and I only mention that because they have a smaller all-state choir than a state like Texas mm-hmm. or California. Oh, for sure. Uh, so maybe a, maybe a lower bar to entry. I don't know. Um <laughs> So he would, I was just like, I don't know, all state choir, like right out of the gun. Like I just joined his choir in junior year. He's like, I think you need to try out for all state. I was like, Arr. so he, he encouraged me to do it. And I did, and I got in and, um, that, I think that ignited something for me too. So we were, we were doing musicals. I was having these other opportunities to sing and it was, yeah, it was just really kind of an enriching experience. So I, I carried that with me to college, did a few shows in college. And at that time, I was meeting people who were like some of the, as I was kind of later on in my college experience, some of the shows we did had undergrads and graduate students okay. from the music school. And so I was meeting some of them and and one of them had an agent and I was like, how wow. does that? Like, yeah, fancy. What? <laughs> um, and they're like, it's pretty straightforward, really. It's like not that glamorous. Like I'm just doing <laughs> local kind of Houston area commercials and training videos. Yeah. If you want to do it, pretty much all you do is this and this and this, like put together your resume of the shows you've been in. And if you've taken an acting class, like throw that on there, like that's, that's mostly what they care about. So yeah, pretty quick. I had an agent and it was um, the same, uh, just to bring it full circle, uh, that agency in Houston, Texas, where I first signed on as a talent. uh, When I got there, they had, 
like they were very nice. They were warm and welcoming. They're like, here's what you do, mm -hmm. new kid. Like here, here's how to get going. And so I was looking around me and trying to learn from the people that I was seeing around me. And they had, I discovered a golden boy kind of already in place. Oh no. Uh, the agency, the guy that just could do no wrong. And, uh, you know, he, he nailed every audition they put him out on working all the time. Uh, and that golden boy's name was John Swayze. Oh. Um, so um, <laughs> that's how he and I met and became friends. And, you know, he would he would dribble some gold coins uh, in his wake <laughs> from time to time that we could snatch up, to buy food with and sustenance. Um, but, you know, it was, it was it was awesome. It was I got to see him work on, on so many things. And he obviously is a, a remarkable talent. Uh, and just a, a warm and generous person. So um, that was kind of the coming up. So I, I got an agent. I was doing that pretty consistently. I was supporting myself. I was also the lead singer of a swing band in oh. Houston. What, what was the it, name um, of that swing band? The swing band was called the Blue Monks. Nice. And it was kind of close to Y2K. Like swing came yeah. to Houston pretty late, yeah. as most trendy things do with Houston. Uh, it's Austin first. <laughs> it uh, percolates there for a few years yep. and then Houston catches on years mm -hmm. later. So um, I was doing that. I was singing with the band. I was acting during the day, singing at night. And I was able to sustain myself on that entirely for like two or three years. That's crazy. It is. It it, it, it was truly the life of Riley. Like, I, I don't think I don't think I know how good I had it. It was it was at that time that I found and I believe you've heard a story very much like this from from John Grimion. Uh, it was right around then that I found an ad in the back of a paper, uh, our <laughs> our weekly, our alternative weekly paper yep. that said wanted actors to do cartoon voices. And I was like, wow, that's for me. So it was it was purely circumstantial. You saw this ad like you didn't go out seeking like you weren't like, OK, no. cartoons is what I want to do because I like I, I've loved cartoons since I was a kid. So I'm going to go out and find yeah. it. It was just you saw this ad and you're like, I can do this. Exactly. I, you know, it was it was interesting because years before, I think I was watching some animated movie with a friend on video at his house. <laughs> and he was like, we were enjoying the film. And he was like, would you want to do something like this someday? I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. Like a hundred percent. Yes. I, this would be a dream. But I kind of, I kind of left it there. Like in one of the things that I'd gotten to do like a year prior to finding that ad, I got to do an animated TV commercial for a local car dealership. <laughs> um, and they had, for some reason, their mascot was an animated Scottish terrier. <laughs> and they wanted someone who could do a Scottish accent. And so I won, you know, I won that role. And then it was, but it was Western style animation where they animated later. So I went into the, the recording booth. They set up a camera to capture all of my facial expressions and, and mouth flaps. Okay. And then they animated the dog over that afterward. And so I'd kind of gotten, you know, I'd been a cartoon, like that had happened. So I, I, I guess sort of I felt like I'd checked that box, it, but it, it wasn't something I was pining for, you know, kind of thinking to myself, like, I got to find a way in. But it was certainly welcome when I saw it. I was like, oh, wow, yep. nice. How sweet would that be? Let's see what happens. That's crazy that it came full circle with John Swayze as well. And then shout out to that high school teacher. It's always neat when... Because that's a commonality that for some people I talk to, and especially like people that have a passion for something or like I, I call it a nerdy passion because we talk about nerd stuff on the podcast, but it can be passion in general where you have a, a teacher or somebody in your life that just gives you that little extra push and is like, 
hey, you know, you kind of you're kind of really good at this. Maybe do some more with yeah. it. Yeah. When that happens, it's kind of magical. So yeah, shout the, out to the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was spot on. What I didn't tell you was he um he placed a uh, lopsided wager with me. He was like, "Look, listen. Try out for Allstate. If you don't make it, I'll take you and your parents to any restaurant you want to go to. Dinner's on me." Oh wow. I'm like, "Okay. Uh, I like to eat very much." <laughs> So that seems like a, that seems like a win win. So yeah, he did not have to buy dinner. Like he knew he he knew what he was doing. There you go, smart man. But hey, at the very least, you would have gotten a free dinner out of it. So I, I, I right. you had the better deal of it. Yeah, it's always nice to hear about those people who fertilize your nerd seed. There it is. So was that your main nerdy thing, quote unquote? Was it theater from the, the beginning, or were you into anything else kind of nerdy coming up? Well, I guess I should ask you before I answer how you define nerdy or how you define nerddom. That's fair. Well, it, it, it's, it's changed over the years. Now, I would say so. Yeah. Now, one of the things is that one of the fun things about our show is despite his gray beard, Mikey is the younger one. He's the millennial over here. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. the, I'm the Gen Xer. I came up in the 80s where I was playing Dungeons and Dragons and I might as well have had girl repellent on me. And so to me, nerdy means you're not a jock. You're the one who gets stuffed in the locker, but you're super into like sci-fi and Tokian and, <laughs> and you think theater is pretty cool. And, you know, all, all the, 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 the kids that aren't like running laps, like I, I was made to run laps, but it wasn't because I wanted to, you know? Yeah. Right. Cause you got to rush out of it. Yeah. I guess, I guess it's interesting. You know, I asked the question because like you said, it's certainly changed. And I think, you know, the, it depends on how you frame the definition. I guess the traditional one is to, to be a nerd is to have a, a strong passion for something True. that is not mainstream. Exactly. Yeah. Because lots of people have fat passion for watching football yeah. and that's mainstream. Yeah. Yep. I guess, quote unquote. Yeah. They're a sports but, nerd though. <laughs> that's a sports nerd. Okay. Yeah. I guess, I guess it's kind of what makes it nerdy is if there are, I, I suppose a majority of people surrounding you who are like, Ooh, what's if that's what you like, like, yeah, yeah. but the things I was interested in as a kid, I, it seemed like maybe there was a, maybe it was only a slim majority, but mostly the, the people I was around also seemed to enjoy. Like I grew up loving cartoons and I was not alone in that. And at the time that I was kind of getting pushed into doing theater, I happened to be at a school where that was kind of favored as mm -hmm. well. So I was in shows with, again, this is middle school, so it was not like real jocks, but the guys that were also doing it with me were very active in sports. So it was just like there was no stigma to do those things when when I was coming up with them. But yeah, I mean, I know in other in other times and other places, yeah, having been involved with theater would be hugely nerdy. Having mm -hmm. been involved with the school choir would be hugely nerdy. Yeah. But yeah, the you know, it's weird at my high school, being in choir was cool. It was an easy A. Mm -hmm. So there were plenty of uh, sporty types and just, you know, remarkably handsome high school girls um, <laughs> who were there for an easy A. Like the, the my choir director, in as much as he was great at what he did and good at drawing out things from people and, and kind of dedication, was also a pushover. Like, you know, he knew he knew that these kids were there because he didn't demand much of them and it seemed to be fine with him. But 
choir was reasonably cool because of the the students that attracted theater was I don't know neutral I guess it was it was not looked on as particularly cool or uncool but strangely band was super nerdy like yeah, I wasn't well, in nerd, but even in even in the choir room we were like nerds <laughs> That's funny that's cuz that's kind of the opposite of like Texas band the cool Very kids much. in the band you know? Yes I was I was yeah. amazed when I got here my my son is in high school now and active in band and all of the kids are cool I was like what is going yeah, on what's it's it's what so, twilight are we in yeah it's so different now for me too because i have i have juniors in high school myself and they are already sporty which is something you can be now they they are in theater and very active in theater at a high level and they also play high school hockey and so it's like you couldn't like what are you guys doing you can't do that <laughs> but they can and they do <laughs> they as as uh, kevin said things have changed yeah keep Dave, your head in the swivel lads yeah and that was the thing, too. We bring this up all the time, and our fans are probably sick of me talking about it, but I always do. But I remember I'd go to a convention back in the 90s when I was playing Dungeons & Dragons. It was all guys there It was all, who smelled really bad. We all needed deodorant, frankly. <laughs> you know. And I specifically have this, this is very specific memory. I specifically remember there was a guy there once. This was like a gaming convention for like Dungeons & Dragons and board games and things like that. There was a guy yep. there who had a wife. <laughs> a very attractive wife and everyone was like how did you do that <laughs> right because usually but, the only time we saw floating fe- heads that yeah. weekend yeah the only time we saw females there when they were hired to be at the booths <laughs> right so it's so much different now i'm jealous of it that's why i'm just i'm jealous of the kids now that's what i'm saying i'm jealous i had to okay. go to, i had Fair to go enough. to art school to be cool <laughs> <laughs> There is such a thing as living vicariously, Kevin. Oh, we can, yeah. <laughs> we, can, we can help you. We can help. I'm not worried. I love it. So you said you got you met up with John Swayze. Was that at ADV? Is that where you first kicked things off into anime, or was that something totally unrelated? Yeah, no. He and I were kicking around just Houston acting circles together because okay. we had the same agent, and so occasionally we would be hired on the same... Um, like commercial set, or again, the, the the industrial training films were huge kind of bread and butter for the Houston actor. There were loads mm-hmm. of those, particularly because, the, you know, there's such a kind of hub for healthcare in Houston, as well as oil and gas. So like all mm-hmm. of these companies would have to annually kind of film their HR training videos, like here's what you shouldn't do. And here's what you should do. And they had to get at local actors to do those. And so it was you know, I was on the set with John a number of times um, and he started around that time, like he he was getting pulled into kind of the like these house gigs, as it were, like he was working with companies who are like, you're so wonderful. We'd like you to come on board and kind of be an in-house actor, director, like kind of help us steer. Like we'd like to do a series of things like this and like to have you involved. John Swayze. And so he would pull us into that stuff from time to time. Like, mm-hmm. so he could, he was playing kind of assistant director and be to tell the, whoever was in charge, like, I've got a couple of great people mm-hmm. who would elevate your, you know, production here. And they're like, oh, yeah, do whatever you like. So um, <laughs> that's awesome to hear because, like, that's, that's one of the principles we sort of stick by. And every time we hear about it, it's just, it's, it's a warm thought. It's, it's like some people say it's send the elevator back down. Some people, it's just, you know, if your friends are good at what they do and you're hanging out with them for the right reasons, bring your friends along when you can. For sure. I mean, you know, and, and I'll, I'll get back to your um, 
I'll get back to your question about how it started with the anime and John specifically. But, you know, we, we talk about this all the time, which is, you know, at least in Houston, and I imagine this is, is the case in other cities where there is an anime studio and a, a community of actors that are experienced voice actors. Mm-hmm. You'll see that some of the same names end up working for the same directors again and again, show after show. And there are certainly those who might want to put a negative spin on it about like, you know, that's laziness or, or, or whatever. But at the end of the day, the directors of those shows are making choices based on what's going to be best for the show. Yeah. Plain and simple, period. And so, you know, there is no sense in which when John Swayze is helming a show because we're friends, I get the lead every time. Like, I don't know that I've ever been the, you know, titular lead in any John Swayze show because my voice is older and deeper. Like, almost all animes have the starring protagonist is a, a teenager or early 20s. Yep. It's very difficult for me to sound like that. <laughs> and so I normally end up playing the dad or the villain or what have you. And that's perfectly a-okay with me. But to the your point of, like, if you know your friends are good at something and they will benefit what we're doing over here, yeah, bring them along. Yep. And so I think all, all of the directors I've worked with have played by that code where they are job number one is make a great show. Yep. You know, for the for the sake of the studio that is paying you to make a show, make it a great show. And then after that, as long as you're fulfilling, you know, order number one, the rest of the stuff you do is secondary and tertiary. Like, you know, if you know that bringing in your friends will help us create a great show, then bring in your friends. But I mean, they they also recognize, and it's kind of common sense that after a while, people do like variety. Like, you know, no one's going to enjoy if every single show has the exact same cast every single time, like people will start to tune out. And so yep. they know well enough to kind of keep things fresh. And certainly in the case of, a cast where you have actors acting opposite each other and kind of creating drama or creating tension or creating some emotive connection, it's valuable to have some sort of fresh, you know, fresh perspective in there because it creates new relationships and new ties and new dynamics. And that's exciting for, for a viewing audience. So I get it. Makes sense. Yeah. You kind of hinted that at this as well, but like, it, it isn't typecast, but you do have you have the voice range that you have and you have your strengths that you play to. Right. But even with that and the list of the long list of credits that we went through, there's variety within that. So is there anything that you do or anything that you sort of keep in mind to help you with that variety? Because it could just be like, oh, you're the bad guy every time. But it's not that, you know, there there's right. levels of nuance to it. So, I mean, what do you do to, I guess, elevate that or help that? You know, I, I guess from early on, I was, and as I mentioned, you know, earlier on the playground with my friends, like I, I've been a mimic, I've, I've long been a mimic and I live, part of my growing up was abroad, like the, the middle school I mentioned was in London. My father worked for Exxon, now retired, and we moved around a lot. So, you know, I went from elementary school in a suburb of Houston to middle school in London, England. Wow. Imagine, you know, imagine the culture shock. And after we got used to it, it was an absolute love affair, like just an incredible time in a young person's life, but just surrounded by 
so much culture and so much kind of geographic diversity, like the, the people that live in London mm-hmm. have every accent you could imagine. And I got to hear it firsthand and take delight in trying to mimic it, especially the British one, because the school we went to was an American school. And it was right next, right across the street from a British school that most of the student body there did not care for the American students across the street. Mm. I was going to say, um, it sounds like a setup to at least like a movie rivalry. (laughs) Yeah. It was like the Jets versus the Sharks, (laughs) except it was... It was more like the sharks versus the goldfish that were across the street. Like we were not, you know, I guess there there were a couple a couple tough guys at our school, but it was mostly like they were, yeah, they were like roaming roaming bands of thugs looking for uh, Americans to uh, pound in the sand. So um, it was a defense mechanism for me to learn a perfect British accent, so I could be like, oh no, that's not me. No, no, no. I saw them. They ran that way. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, there was there was some um, utility to learning. learning <laughs> so I did that, and, and kind of that kind of feeds into you know the, the more general answer to your question, which is that I kind of learned to call upon lots of different things in creating a character, mm-hmm. and you know, learned how to modulate my voice for for age and sort of other character effects. So. You know, these days, kind of deciding what to to pull from yep. to create a character, I, I you know, I rely on the directors a lot. Like they will normally bring me in and say, like, as I was watching the first cut of the show, it's like I thought of you for this. Here he is. Here's his story. I think we can make this a lot of fun or make it really kind of impactful. You know, let's see what you got. So it's it's a rarity that I would just be handed like a clean slate and and kind of have to create a character from scratch. Like, how am I going to embody this person? Like, I, I normally have a lot of input from the director on on what he would sound and act like. But I'm fortunate that I have this background of experience that I do that that I can, I have a pretty broad palette of things I can pick from to, to contribute. And that's awesome. That was a wonderful British accent, by the way. Way better than a Dick Van Dyke, Mary Poppins sort of <laughs> pass off. That, that's the only I thing hear, I'm yeah, I hear, he, I hear he nearly started a war yeah. uh, with that. I believe they called it Mockney. Yep. He, he would have definitely got pounded by those schoolboys. <laughs> oh, big time. Yeah. He would not have fooled anybody. <laughs> it's not me. It's anyway that way. Crikey. Crikey. <laughs> that's Australian even worse i know i'm not trying to make it good if i if i did that i'd just probably fail harder and we already got the pro here so so that newspaper ad where you first saw the thing about animation voice i you said it said cartoon voices that's pretty much just right on the beginning of that happening right you're were you there pretty much from the jump yeah really close yeah i think they'd they'd been at it for um maybe a year or two wow um the the legend i hear and i i haven't asked anyone to you know sign their name to this but i believe uh abb films was started in you know one of the two founders garages like they figured out they were big anime fans obviously the stuff subbed in english from japan and just realized there was a need that could be filled Mm -hmm. in the u.s and i i don't know the specifics at all but i i gather that you know they had figured out a way to 
get the rights pretty cheaply to one anime that they liked or that had resonated with American audiences and brought it over and something along the lines of dubbed it in their garage. I'm sure this, I'm butchering it badly, but, um, <laughs> you know, it was something like that where it's just a really bare bones operation and it worked like the, the product they put out, there was demand for it. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, well, from there, you know, we can use both our garages now and now we can, now we can rent a space with tiny, you know, booth made out of a closet. And now we can. So I think by the time I entered, they were pretty well established in a building that had, you know, two studios set up, two booths. So yeah, when I, when I went into audition, it was in a, you know, what, what appeared to me to be state of the art Oh, okay. You know, facility. So, so it, every bit as good as the you know stuff. The places I was going to record local radio commercials, they they had all the stuff set up and good, you know, impressive looking soundboard and all that stuff. So, yeah, I don't I don't think it took them long to get there. So yeah, I was I was in pretty close to ground level. Yeah, was this like the mid nineties, late nineties? It was late nineties. Yeah, because yeah. my whole introduction to anime was through a guy in the nineties who had this huge collection. And talk about being kind of counterculture. I mean, like, he, he just kind of sniffed me out with his nerd dar, I guess. And <laughs> we both worked at Toys R Us together. I was a teenager. And, and he was like, hey, are you into anime? And I'm like, what's anime? And he goes, have we ever seen, like, Akira? And I'm like, yeah, it's cool. And he's like, well, or heavy metal? Yeah, that's I've seen stuff. He goes, well, I got this huge anime collection. And he had this huge anime collection. And, you know... I was probably listening. I like when I meet voice artists who've been doing it for that long, I might, I think, Oh, I might've heard you and not knew I was hearing you because he would just give me stuff. I would, I really wasn't like uh, seeking it out. He would just be like, check this one out. Did you like this one? Oh, okay. If you like that one, you'll like this series or like, Oh, here's the rest of the series. Or he just give me stuff. And I'd just be like, okay, you know, and I just watch it and I thought it was awesome. And <laughs> then I, I had no idea because he was getting it out of catalogs. Desperate, and, desperately seeking someone to validate his nerddom, yeah. was he? Yeah, I think yeah. he was. Um, I get it. But I didn't even know where to get the things. I just got them from him. And then I went off to college and didn't really think about it until it like exploded again. And I was like, oh, I know what this stuff is. <laughs> <laughs> was that the case for you, Jay? Like, because you had mentioned you and a friend were watching anime and having the conversation of, hey, would you ever be a voice? But... Like, were you an anime oh, fan? No, that was that was Western animation. That oh, okay. was classic, a classic cartoon. But yeah, so it was. I had very little exposure to it, except to the you know Speed Racer. Of course, yeah. everyone knew. <laughs> I have never researched how and where Thundercats was made. Does it have any anime influence? Around that time, it seems like most everything that was like that did. So I would, my guess would be yes. <laughs> Oh, that that's worthy of some further research. But, you know, I was huge into Thundercats and looking back, it, it feels like it had a similar aesthetic to mm-hmm, for sure. uh, anime at the time. So, yeah, I mean, there, there were certain things that had made it to the mainstream. But I mean, I know that was the, just the tiniest tip of the iceberg. So beyond that, I didn't I didn't know much about it. I wouldn't have been able, you know, if someone had walked up to me and 1998 and say, what do you think of Akira? I'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, so yeah, it was my, my, my entree to the art form was almost entirely through working on it. Mm, that's awesome. And it was, it was great. It was a really nice way 
to do it, I think. I mean, I got to see it from a different vantage point, but certainly in some of the the first things I worked on, even the things that were bit parts, I, you know, part of our payment at the time was we would get a VHS tape of, <laughs> you know, every volume of the series um, that we were in. And so, um, you know, I would bring the stuff home and, you know, ravenously watch it just so I could see my parts. But through doing that, I was, you know, absorbing the entire story and kind of understanding why people are passionate about it. Like it was, it was cool to watch. I, I got to the point where I was recording enough of it that I couldn't really keep up with it anymore. Like I would, mm-hmm. some stuff I would see, some stuff I would, I would not, but um, yeah, I, I got it. It, it resonated with me. I understood kind of why, why people enjoy it so much. I'm wondering, cause you said you would ravenously watch it, the things that you were in, I guess you're okay with hearing your voice. But I'm wondering if I've met a lot of actors who don't like watching themselves like live action. And I'm, I know you've done a lot of that, too. Do you, sure. Do you like is there a difference? Do you like it both ways? Do you like not seeing yourself act? Because when it's your voice, you know, you're not seeing like, oh, why am I making that face? You know? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't have any objection to to any of the media. I think, too, you know, it was funny related to hearing one's voice and certainly with the anime early on when I was doing bit parts, I was asked to like the stable of actors in Houston, Texas at that time in the late nineties was pretty small. So we were getting called in fairly frequently. And when we got called in, especially as we were starting out, you know, the directors only trusted us with bit parts, but they would give us uh, just a, double handful of bit parts (laughs) per session. Like I was recording in a, you know, two hour session, maybe six or seven different tiny characters. And so they wanted them to sound wildly different from each other. And, you know, I was able to provide them that to the point that when I got my videotape, I would, you know, gather my family around and be like, watch this. (laughs) Look at me. And they would, they would, my parents would humor me by watching it. And, you know, like my brother would watch it and knew, kind of knew what was going on. And so he, if I did a character that was kind of ridiculous, uh, he would laugh and laugh and say, aha, that was hilarious. And my mother would be like, what just happened? (laughs) My brother would be like, Jay's character just now was super dumb. Like that was you. My own mother couldn't tell awesome. what I was doing. So it, it happens from time to time where I will hear old recordings and not be entirely sure if that's me or somebody <laughs> else. Because, you know, there are there are a couple at this point, you know, again, with the, the broad universe of, of voice actors, there are a few that sound a little bit tiny like each other mm-hmm. from time to time. So uh, I can even fool myself. But yeah, to, to your question, I it's never bothered me watching watching myself on camera. Normally, I think it's hysterical. So. <laughs> it's yeah. a good attitude. There you go. Sure. Healthy. And it does seem like a prepared you. I find this fascinating. You've done voiceover work for video games. Uh, you were in. You did voice bit parts for Unlimited Saga and Made in Abyss. How? Yeah. What's the difference there? I mean, is that more like the bit work that you started out with? Because it seems like it, my my assumption is that. For video games, you're doing all these little bits and pieces that they can plug in later because it has to go to a video game, which is not a linear animation, you know, that sort of thing. Sure. 
Is that the case, or is it? Is, is there? Are they more similar than I would assume? Reasonably similar, actually. For me, the video game stuff came uh, later, and all of my video game experience has been through anime studios. Okay. So the the experience was certainly similar for me because. I was working with the same directors I had worked with in the same booth we always worked in. And so certainly the process had its differences, but there were a lot of similarities uh, just based on kind of our historical experience of working with each other. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the main difference is that you don't get to see your character on screen. Ah, um, that makes sense. So in, in anime, we're always watching the the already recorded Japanese version of the anime. Mm -hmm. We get to hear the Japanese actors acting in the scene, we see our characters interacting. And so we're just contributing to this, this thing that is kind of already a living, breathing thing with, with uh, the video games when it's needed. And when the situation calls for it, we can hear other actors that have contributed. But a lot of the time it's, you know, if you're a first person shooter game, you know, you've got the player who's interacting with one character at a time or in a fight. Yep. And the character is saying, is that the best you got? Come on, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, you got me. Um, whatever. So there's nothing to act off of. So in such a case, you've got just your list of lines and the director's like, let's do them one by one. There you go. Yeah, that's that was my assumption on part of it is just like, okay, you have to grunt like eight different ways and you have to sound like you've been shot four different ways. <laughs> and maybe yeah. what does it sound like when you get stabbed? Let's try that two different ways. It's like, okay, yeah, weird. That is, that is that is exactly the case. I mean, you don't get to see any visual to accompany that. So uh it does it does kind of you do have to, I guess flex slightly different muscles um <laughs> in order to make what would be a, a believable performance uh yeah. in such a case like that but otherwise a lot of similarities I certainly for me okay i would be remiss because our producer not oh don't be remiss kevin no. if it's the last thing you do <laughs> uh, our producer, nobody likes that our producer not scott sent us a whole bunch of uh, notes right yeah and one of them he said i found this website that said Jay was born in the Himalayas to a Sherpa guide and a Christian missionary. What? what? No, that, that's... Is there a question in there somewhere, <laughs> Kevin? So, so yeah. <laughs> Here, here's my question. Is it true? Because that kind of sounds like the, something that the internet would put out there just to mess with people. Yeah, um, it is It is not true. Um, Do you know about it? Yeah, yeah, I knew all about it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I believe I believe I wrote that uh, as a joke, mind you. But um, I, I'm trying to remember exactly where it started. It was uh, <laughs> early on in the anime kind of chapter of my life. ADV Films was starting to branch out and come up with like kind of web content, like written web content. Like people were running, uh, writing care articles for their website. Mm -hmm. They had an affiliation with um, an anime-themed magazine. And so at some point, I was asked to interview for some article. And the guy who interviewed me was a bit of a character, like just a lot of fun. And so the environment was really loose and fun and funny. And so somewhere in the midst of that interview, as a joke, I, I said that that's what my <laughs> background. And he print he printed that. <laughs> I love it. And so yeah, that oh that gosh. sort of took on a life a life of its own and and found its way to other places. And I was just like, at some point, I don't know, I, who is it hurting? Um, <laughs> it's not no, hurting me. 
My, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling so broad. My cheeks are hurting. It's hilarious. Yeah, I there, love there's, it. there's no truth to it. I've never even been to the Himalayas. <laughs> so I'll, I'll remedy that someday, though, and maybe have a child up there. We'll see. It's a, it's a great, it's a great origin story, though. It seems like there needs to be a character who has that origin story that you need to voice. Yes, I think we need to get on that and make some kind of original okay. content. It seems like he'd have powers, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. And it does yeah. fit. The uh, the other thing we came across is your lovely headshot of you in a smoking jacket with the pipe. That oh, seemed, nice. That yeah. seems in the, the, the same vein of your style of your character, your charisma and your humor. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was important to me. It was, it was headshot time. And uh, when that was taken was, you know, kind of at the beginning of my sort of second wave of getting into conventions. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, a lot of a lot of my need for headshots as a voice actor were to promote appearances at conventions, and I just I just wanted something that was fun. So I did a few serious ones during that session, and then also I I, I think it was not long before, like the year before, I had specifically requested on my Christmas wish list a crushed red velvet smoking jacket. <laughs> I had asked for it for Christmas specifically for this photo shoot. Oh, that's great. Um, I was, I guess, a very good boy that year. I got the smoking jacket. <laughs> I wore it for that photo shoot, and I don't think ever once since. But it's in great shape. It's been dry cleaned. It's in a, you know, airtight dry cleaner bag. Like I, I can break <laughs> it out at any point. I don't have to dust it off. It's ready to go. I can smoke, you know, a huge pipe. So we might have to use the picture for this interview's Instagram. <laughs> keep, keep it alive. Yeah, keep it alive. By keep, all means. Keep I, the smoking uh, yeah, I jacket no, alive. I have no objection. I am, you may have noticed, having seen the photograph, since that time, I did get a haircut. <laughs> and I am I am due to get some new headshots done. So we might trot out the smoking jacket one to. more time. Yeah, I to. think it's it's kind of a moral imperative. Yes. We'll do it if we have to do yes. it. You, you have to do it. You have to. <laughs> just just as a fan of bits in general, I'm always for yeah. keeping the bit alive. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. That's keeping it full circle, I, like we've talked about. I Absolutely. think you should do it like every. I just want to see like through the years of Jay Hickman as you get older and older and older, that jacket just comes out for every <laughs> okay. headshot. It would yeah. be it would be beautiful. It would be beautiful I, to see like 80 year old Jay Hickman still in that smoking jacket with his pipe. <laughs> yeah, I can. If there's anyone who can who can make it happen just in terms of keeping the smoking jacket in good shape. I can do it. Yeah. I like Cause it. that's the benefit of only wearing a garment one time every five years. <laughs> like it can maintain its quality. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if properly cared for. I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do. Kevin. Yeah. Thank you. See what <laughs> Thank I can you. do. Thank you. Speaking on the convention sort of note, um, we did just finish anime Dallas. So does that mean like it's back already and you're starting to plan for next year? Do you get some time off to go do some voice acting? What's, what's next for you? What's up on the horizon? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, um, my cadence for conventions these days is getting kind of close to my sweet spot. Like I was always thinking like one a month would be just about right. And where I'm real close to that. So happy for that. But in, in terms of anime Dallas and anime Houston specifically, mm-hmm. yeah, we will, we will normally give ourselves, you know, a, a good break of, of several weeks before we start pestering each other again about what are we doing next year? But, you know, we do, we do try to have, Kind of a debrief meeting pretty soon after after an event so we can you know stay fresh in our mind like what worked great what could use improvement uh while you know every, everything is still kind of percolating there so we'll 
try to take really good notes in that meeting so that we can revisit it <laughs> months later. When we're really ready to start in earnest planning for the next time. So yeah, this is right now will be the you know longest kind of period of rest we get because Anime Houston will be in August. And so once Anime Houston is done, it's only a two, three months until it's Anime Dallas time. So yeah, they are kind our, of back to back. Yeah, they're, they're, they're close together. But um, between Dallas and Houston, there's a longer, a longer lag. So we, we can take our time to kind of plan for the next one and, and also talk about, you know, what we can do to kind of drum up support for it in the interim and, you know, keep people interested. So there you go. Well, we're interested for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's one of the best times ever. Yeah, for sure. One of Excellent. The- yeah, we uh, we certainly have enjoyed having you each time. Yeah, this is definitely one of the best times ever. Is there anything else on the horizon that you have going on you want to promote for our listeners? I uh, Yeah, this one always catches me off guard. There, there's <laughs> surely something, but I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it yet. But uh, yeah, one thing I can certainly mention, I think this may be character that I had not yet had time to add to my bio before you got to read it, Mikey, okay. was in Maiden Abyss. Season two is currently uh, playing on Toonami. It's on the Toonami block. Nice. And um, they had played season one previously, but I had no part in the show until this season. So I got brought aboard uh, by director Kyle Jones as a character called Majikaja, who is, for people that don't know the show, he is kind of like, they are, you know, the, the whole premise of the show is like, you know, strangers in a strange land and, and they're experiencing uh, bizarre new kind of worlds and environments. And, and this character is a native of one of those strange new worlds, but a, a fairly friendly, welcoming one uh, who ends up being kind of a, a local guide to help um, help them out. He's not perfect. Uh, he makes mistakes like <laughs> anybody. But um, his, his uh, heart, in so much as you can call it that, is in the right place. So... Uh, yeah, he's been he's been a lot of fun, and I do routinely uh, get together with Kyle Jones to live tweet that show every Saturday night. Uh, oh. That's um, that's a thing we we enjoy doing a lot. Whenever we've got a show on the block, we'll kind of make an effort to coordinate so that we're we're live tweeting at the same time. Sometimes, if we can uh, swing it, we'll get together in the same room to amp up the energy a little bit more. But yeah, that's happening right now. We just did. Episode four, so episode five is coming up this Saturday, and uh, I should have more nonsense to spout on Twitter that night mm-hmm. for for people that are able to tune in. Oh, that's a fun time. And being on Toonami, I'm sure you get a lot of people just tuning in for that and, and being silly right back at you. Yeah, indeed. It, it's, it's remarkable. And, you know, it, it's a really nice outlet for me to have interaction with the rest of the fan base for these shows. To meet a lot of people at conventions, and that is wonderful. And for those that you know are geographically separated to the point that gathering together in the same physical spaces is too difficult, yeah, we have this medium to connect on, and it's it's very cool. That is cool. I mean, just the fact that you have a chance to interact with the actor of the thing you're watching right there uh, that that's one of the things I love about living in the future. <laughs> yes, yeah, for sure. It is, um, amazing time we're living in well jay we want to thank you so much for being on our show and coming on to talk with us everyone check him out at jay hickman md on twitter especially on saturday so you can see those um live tweets 
And uh, we want to thank you so much for listening to our show. We want to thank That Guy Brad for doing our announcing, Not Scott Productions for our equipment, Jazzar for our music, and we want to thank all the apes and opossums out there for listening. We just named our fans at the at, at the con, Anime Dallas. Tell me about that. They want to be called apes and opossums. And we were trying to think, what, like, because like the the example that came up is Taylor Swift has her Swifties. So if somebody's listening to the Assuming Positions podcast, what are, what is the mascot name? What are uh-huh. the fans' name? In our, and they came up with two different mascots. Yeah, AP Assuming Positions, and some people said apes, but then someone said opossums. So maybe the well, maybe the, the masculine and feminine, <laughs> apes and opossums. It's a work in progress. It's, it's a, a work in progress. Yeah. Well, I don't know if if there's still a chance to put a, a name in the hat. Oh, I put it I, in. I, I might suggest calling your fans uh, positrons. Oh, oh, I love it. That would that's, be fun. That's a because good. it's it's nerdy, but it is positively charged. Oh, we're positive. keeping things positive. I wow. You know what? I think Jay Hickman. You're all called positrons. <laughs> Jay Hickman has done it, and it's documented uh, on record. It's documented. It's on record. Science sealed, delivered. Yeah. My work here is done. His work here is done. <laughs> Thanks for being on, Jay. It's yeah. been a I'm lot of fun. I'm off to the next town to help, uh, help out that. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you. This has been a distinct treat. So um, thank you for the time. And yeah, we'll we'll look forward to the next convention. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. See you around. Yeah. You bet.